Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking about company culture, why it's important, how to build one that attracts the employees you want to hire, and what you can do to embrace authenticity. Right now, your company culture is especially important. COVID-19 has changed the way we all work. A strong culture can help support your employees' mental health throughout this crisis. And in the long term, it can help with a robust recovery by helping you hire and retain the best talent. We recorded this podcast earlier this year before the COVID-19 crisis had impacted much of the world but we believe the insights are still valuable and relevant today. Joining me are three experts. The first is Vanessa Hawes, Senior Employer Brand and Communications Strategist at PeopleScout. As a member of PeopleScout's talent advisory practice, Vanessa supports our clients to effectively launch, embed, manage, and measure their employer brand. Vanessa leads a number of strategic employer brand accounts, as well as supporting the RPO division and PeopleScout globally. Vanessa takes an active interest in inclusion and diversity, especially female representation in business and STEM and social mobility. Vanessa, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Also here with us today is Frances Lee Husband, sales manager at Guardian Jobs. In her role, Frances heads up the Guardian Jobs public services and client relationship teams. With more than 15 years of experience at The Guardian, she has overseen the evolution of the digital business model and developed a sales strategy, which has produced new revenue streams and delivered growth. Thanks for joining us, Francis. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really excited to be here. And we're also joined by Helen Durkin, the EMEA Employer Brand Program Manager at Indeed. In her role, she is responsible for building Indeed's employer brand reputation and owning the content and advertising strategy across EMEA. With more than 10 years of experience, Helen has experienced most of the challenges within the employer branding space. Helen has won awards for her work and even served as an award judge herself, so she knows her stuff. Helen, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me today. Let's get started with the basics. We've heard a lot about company culture in recent years. So why would the three of you say that having a strong company culture is important? So um, for me, it's really important to driving the core of a business. Um, So for The Guardian, we um, have one purpose, and that is to ensure that The Guardian is financially and editorially independent in perpetuity. Um, and perpetuity is an incredibly long time. Um, so that's our core objective. And um, so having positive company culture is really important to ensure that The Guardian quite simply is publishing in another 200 years. Yeah, and I think for us at Indeed, um, it's really important. We have the same, we have a really strong mission um, as a business, which kind of drives everything that we do around culture. Our mission is we help people get jobs, and that's from everything we do in terms of how we attract talent, but also how we deal with our um, employers who use us as a platform and job seekers. Um, And we've actually done a lot of research behind why company culture is important. And then candidates especially, that's the first thing they look at. So if they're looking at, you know, company sites and websites and reading reviews, they want to know what your company culture is. So it's really important because it also helps you attract and retain the right type of talent that you want for your business. 
Yeah, so I think I come from slightly different side of things. So um, the other two are sort of, sort of talking from within the organisation. And so, sort of from an agency perspective, we kind of have the luxury of seeing lots of different company cultures um, when we help our help our clients. And I think for me, when you talk about business effectiveness and um, sort of business transformation, leaders have kind of got two things to play with. So you've kind of got your business strategy, which is your more formal uh, kind of where we're going, where do we want to be in the future, and then the culture being the other lever that you can sort of play with, which is around kind of uh, kind of collective behaviour and guiding principles and kind of how we're going to how we're going to get there. Uh, so there's lots of different ways that businesses do it, uh, but culture being a really important part of making a strategy kind of come to life. What are some of the benefits that you see from a strong company culture? I think the other positive things, and obviously having a right company culture, definitely for the CFO, uh, means organizations that have happy, healthy employees make more money. You know, there is a correlation between people who are more engaged and want to come and work, they're more high performing, therefore the end result is making more money. So obviously there is that element which is critical for businesses, um, especially if you look at retail businesses, for example, the correlation between you know, giving a good NPS score um, means someone's had a great experience, therefore they're buying more products in store, and that's because the employee is enjoying working there. Otherwise, they're not going to give that great experience. Yes. And I think for us at The Guardian, what we're most proud of is, um, like, you know, similar to Indeed, our, one of our strap lines is find a good company. So we, when are, we're talking about editorially, people, we often are t- reporting on them in their role. So whether we're talking about a social worker, it's them doing their job at the best, or whether we're talking about a politician again, or a doctor, it's how they carry out their role. So um, editorially, it is completely aligned and mapped in with our Guardian Jobs proposition because editorially, yes, say we'll be talking about how somebody performs their role in the best way, and then obviously we will match that with our audience, you know, retraining and attracting the best kind of candidates for, you know, for our clients and organisations who partner with us. Yeah, I think it's a really good point around helping understand from both a candidate and consumer perspective Mm. if you know what a company stands for and you know what kind of culture goes along sort of with that as well you always know where you stand Mm. so you can kind of use that as well to uh, know how you're going to prepare for a job interview because you know what an organization stands for you know kind of what that assessment process is going to be like and then you know the kind of behaviors that will be acceptable or unacceptable in the workplace as well so kind of having a really good well-defined company culture means that everyone knows where they stand, knows what's encouraged, knows kind of how and how they should be behaving. And I think that that kind of allows you to be a bit more of an inclusive place, place to work as well. So I think sometimes there's kind of a danger of saying that someone needs to be the right fit to work at an organization. And obviously the risk there is that you keep having the same kind of people coming through an organization. But if you start talking around our culture and the values that sit beneath it, then it allows it to be a bit more kind of flexible, fluid, and sort of able to change over time as well, which I think is really important. 
And it's also really important to know what those values and behaviours, how you actually live within those values and behaviours, how that's demonstrated um, in your day-to-day -day role, in your team's performance, um, and in the wider um, organisation as well. I, just, I think it's really important to not just talk about having good values and behaviour, but how that's really mapped into your day-to-day -day and those principles that you display, which again, you know, map against those, those values and behaviours. With all of those benefits, what business challenges can a strong culture help prevent or mitigate? Yeah, so if I think about some of my clients, there's kind of not one of them, not a single one of them really, but it's not going through some kind of transformation and some kind of change. Uh, and often you might see that uh, leaders come and go, advocates come and go. You might have one organization that's moving from, um, Helen used the example of retail earlier around um, become, being a bricks and mortar organization and moving to a digital platform, for example, the skills that you're looking to attract and retain there are really, really different to what you've historically had. And if you don't have a clearly defined culture, then these are the kind of things where people go, oh, all of a sudden I've seen the strategy, I'm not part of it, what does it mean for me? But if you have a kind of adapting culture or a learning culture or one that develops people, you know, helps people to develop other skills and helps people with mobility, then what you're sort of saying with that is that we care about our workforce, we're all going to be mo moving towards this new place together rather than you're not part of our future. So I think those are a couple of examples of where culture can really help mitigate against some risk. Yeah. I was going to say exactly the same when it comes to organisational change. I've been through a fair few in my previous companies, whether that be mergers or reorgs, and some successful, some not successful, because not having that open culture, maybe not having that open communication style to talk through what's going on um, when there's job losses, for example, or things changing. I think the other thing is culture is a really strong part of an employer brand for a business. So and it's like one of the key parts of it. So if you don't have a good culture, you're, it impacts your employer brand, so it impacts everything around all the talent within the business. So I think if you have a great culture, then you're mitigating against having a bad employer brand, therefore obviously means you can attract, retain, bring back talent that may have left and come back again. Um, so yeah, for me, they're kind of some of the key things. And I think having a positive um, influence in culture as well, it just makes people really proud of the work that they're producing. And pride is, is, you know, is really, really important to like a happy, conducive, collaborative workforce as well. Um, we talk about trust quite a lot at, um, at The Guardian and in Guardian Jobs because we are the most trusted news brand in the world. Um, so then that means that the people that we partner with and our audience as well trust us to, to, you know, to produce good, good jobs. And um, yeah, that also is reflected in our staff as well. So one of our mantras is truth to power. And we find that, again, that helps with a positive culture because it, it helps people manage hierarchies up and down. Because if you do, if you are finding a challenging situation, you can just say, well, okay, well, this is our truth to power. And it means someone has to really sit down and listen to you and you can really explain what you mean. And it just helps your development and it just helps manage difficult conversations up and down the food chain. Definitely. I think trust is a big thing. And... Um, if you haven't read the Edelman Trust Report every year, it's that, obviously it's the main thing of people not trusting brands, um, whether they be government brand. And, and the one that's just come out talks about 
brand trusting brands that have an ethical kind of background to them but also act with competence and that's so important and that's what people look at they don't it's not about the fancy strategy that we put out or the branded stuff it's around whether they can trust you and so I think yeah trust is a massive part of the culture how you display it externally but then how you live and breathe it internally as well yeah, and I think the thing is that if you've got elements like trust as part of your culture, but it helps you really navigate some potentially tricky times. Mm-hmm. So if you have a period of transformation and people feel like they can't communicate, um, it can be quite a difficult time and make a bad situation worse. But if you're fostering a culture of uh, sort of open communication, sharing, then what it empowers people to be able to join a conversation, to express mm-hmm. how they feel, uh, and it allows people to be much more collaborative with how we, they approach these kind of problems. And trust for us recently has, has been a big thing in terms of, we talk about revenue, which is often how we're all measured. Um, so the Guardian a couple of weeks ago um, announced that we weren't going to take any advertising revenue from any fossil fuel extraction companies, um, which obviously has a bit of a ripple effect. Um, uh, particularly around recruitment, um, but also around our media and our labs um, teams as well. Um, but, you know, it's quite a bold thing to do with a first news brand to do it. And the reception has re- been really fantastic for some really key clients that have said, you know, finally, we do need a media to stand and say, actually, we need to protect our environment. And the response from our community of both, you know, people that work for us, but also people that partner with us and, and that you know give us their business who are just really proud to say I really feel like we can extend a partnership with you because of those those values that you're actually living those values and it is going to impact us on revenue we are not going to be able to take revenue from certain organizations but it's obviously so important for us to you know to kind of back this environment crisis at the moment um, and just really kind of you know just just stand with our values and yes that is going to cost us money but it does mean that you know it's an example of you know a way that we would like to see our work in the future. Yeah, I love that example. Both from a consumer and employer perspective, it allows you to have an opinion on something and say what we value. So if your culture is around uh, inclusivity, then this can kind of guide some decisions. I use Diageo as an example, one of our clients, and they made the stance that they uh, wanted to ensure that all their suppliers and advertising pitch teams uh, had inclusivity from a female perspective, gender perspective. And that's a really powerful message um, both to the kind of outside world, and it was picked up, you know, by campaign and marketing week and things. But also, it says a lot for a candidate or an employee because it says this is an inclusive organisation. They have a culture of inclusivity, and it's not just words written on a website. It's something that they kind of, you know, they practice what they preach, and it's something that they sort of turn into action as well. I'm just going to add um, on Helen's point earlier. Um, you made the point around. Uh, mergers and acquisitions. I mean, that's a really, really important point when it comes to company culture, and it's something that I think is often, it's sort of often overlooked. Uh, but that can really make or break a company uh, if if done incorrectly. So, an employer brand project at the time of a merger and acquisition can really help align the, sh- the sort of shared values, shared behaviours, and that can become a really strong 
part of a comms strategy, which is why we're merging, why we have an acquisition, why this isn't going to damage our culture. And actually having those proof points and the evidence behind it uh, can really help navigate uh, that situation, both internally for your candidates, but also uh, to maintain some stability for the company overall. I think it's important with, with mergers and acquisitions is understanding that your culture will change. And I think that's where those fail is where everyone thinks that they can keep the same. Because it's just, it's, there's got to be some realism behind that. If you've got a lot of brands thrown together under one roof or in a store or whatever it is, they all have different cultures. So what is so important is going, well, what's the right culture for us to move forward? What are we leaving behind and how are we telling people how it's going to change in that mess in the middle until we get there? Um, and I think that's where, yeah, that's where mistakes are made. It's like, oh, no, but we wanted to keep what we had before. And it's just not going to happen. That's not how it works. Your, your culture is ever evolving, especially through a merger. It's going to pretty much totally change. Um, so you've just got to communicate that and say why and where you're going to and bring everyone on that journey. So how do you actually go about building a culture, a community, and a connection to your brand? That, that's, a, that's a really tricky question. I don't think, well, one, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't all of a sudden build a culture. But I think what myself and Fran talked about is the strong mission piece. I think you need to have that strong mission and you need to live and breathe that and it's not just the big sign on the wall of this is our mission and we put it on our giveaways and we put it on when people join our company on the t-shirts and things which we do but for us indeed it's lived and breathed from the top down down like down up it's everything every message that comes out is always around we've done this because we help people get jobs we're making this decision because we help people get jobs so everybody and if you ask everybody that's why are you here? What's your why? I'm here to help people get jobs. And um, so I think you've got to have that as a starting point and and understand it gonna, it's going to take time. Um, for us, actually, we, we're going through a bit of a change where, from an employer brand perspective, we help people get jobs and everything we do and inside Indeed has kind of been how we've used our people to be that voice, to, to build that connection to our culture when it comes to the recruitment, the attraction piece. From a marketing perspective, we've actually, we're just changing. So job boards can be perceived as quite cold. They are, you know, it's just a an, like transactional thing. You put your job up, you wait for applications. Um, and we wanted, to, we, we wanted to be more human with our storytelling. So actually, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago, we just released a campaign called Moon Landing, which is about all the people behind how that person got on the moon. And we've got various like campaigns coming out and it's us saying, Yes, we help people get jobs, but we're not just a job site that you put. It, you know, getting a job and getting a new career changes people's lives, um, and we're there to help people do that. Um, and then we've got loads of other stuff coming, and that is us knowing that we've got this strong mission, but potentially not had that internally and externally, so changing our approach to be this more human brand. I think that's a really interesting point about human brands, and I'm seeing more and more is that consumers are using their employees as their external marketing. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing HR and marketing working closer together in consumer brand, employer brand. I mean, I was only on the, uh, coming out of the station here the other day seeing all the Metro adverts, and now um, Metro Bank, they're saying that, um, you know, we're the people here at weekends to help you. And their whole proposition for their customer is the people that 
that work for you. They're the people that you access. They're the sales reps. They're the people on the end of the phone, the customer service people. Uh, and that's a real powerful message because it's not just talking about the products because a lot, you know, we know the products that a bank, um, <laughs> that bank offers. And actually the, the way to differentiate between the different banks offering is often the person that you interact with, uh, the person at the end of the phone when you, you need a help cancelling your card. Um, so for them to be moving into this more authentic marketing using people, uh, I think we're going to be seeing be seeing more of that and a sort of closer synergy between a consumer brand and employer brand. There's a, there's a couple of things we've done that we've changed in terms of how to how to cultivate that culture. So now with our onboarding process, we have a couple of mandatory things that people have to go on that we haven't done a few years ago. So three that we uh, completely mandatory are dignity at work, values, behaviour, values and behaviours, and unconscious bias as well. So that's a training that, again, just to ensure that people are on this journey with us and that they're in the right environment as well, um, and that they know that their careers will flourish in a really safe environment. And, you know, that's the Guardian um, overall. But Guardian Jobs, we have, um, you know, we're aligned and underpinned with the Guardian's values, but we also have our five principles that just relate to working in Guardian Jobs. Um, one of them is cultivate grit, um, and one of them is like view um, challenges as opportunities. Now, each week in our weekly roundup where we celebrate um, success, but we also talk. We also have a segment called the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we talk about things that haven't gone so well. But we we have something called a behaviour of the week, and it's not related to revenue. So we will, you know, shout out that person, and we will map it against one of our five principles. So. One of them, again, would be choose well over learning fast. Again, so if someone's done something um, where they followed a process and perhaps not worried about the end result, we'll you know, display that um, across the rest of the department and you know, they win a nice award and so on and so forth. That, that really helps. How do you really make that, that company culture positive and how do you know people that are in a, an environment where they can flourish and they can you know, feel like that they can receive and give feedback? And that's, you know, it's just about making sure that everybody's on that first page at the start as well and that you reinforce that message each week yeah I think there's there's definitely a lot around what are the structures and processes you can you can put in place to foster a great culture uh, so you obviously want it to be something that's authentic so by amplifying and rewarding the behaviors the positive behaviors that already exist is a really good way uh, to grow it from from the ground up just thinking about one of my clients who um, Traditionally, they had a, a part of their business which was very competitive, very much around kind of individual uh, individual success and targets, and they wanted to change that behavior. So it was as simple as changing their targets and sort of reward strategy, but it wasn't around individual success, but collective success as a team. And the byproduct of that is you've got people um, not working in silos anymore, you've got people being more collaborative, it's more about kind of joint value. And uh, so rather than telling people how to behave, you're kind of doing a bit of nudge theory to sort of get them moving in the right direction. How can you ensure that your culture is authentic? If it's not, we know people can just see straight through it. I think for, for me, it's got to be whether it's your customers interacting with your brand or your candidates or your stakeholders, it's got to be consistent. It's got to match what your every touch point. Um, 
Otherwise, it's not authentic because people can see through it. They, if they, so if they've applied for a job and then they interact and they get a great experience, for example, they may, and then they go into or deal with you from a customer perspective, bad experience, it's still an impact on your brand. So it's, it still means it's inauthentic. Um, and I think the people bit makes it more authentic. So obviously it can be a bad side because obviously if they're not happy, they'll give a, a bad impression of your brand. But if you've fostered this culture and you're, you look after your people, they're going to convey an authentic view of your brand. Um, for us, we've got a brand ambassador program which has over 700 people in and their job, the byproduct for us as an employer brand team is great. They produce content, they share it, but actually they take part in our culture and the things that go on, whether that be events, whether that be stuff we do in each of our locations around charity stuff, um, they get exposure to our execs and they really are brand ambassadors and they are the first people to shout out externally about how much they love working there and things like that. And that's a program, we put a lot of work into it, but it's authentic because it's coming from them. And for us, it means we've got thousands of pieces of content shared on the Inside Indeed hashtag, which we can use to for our attraction strategy. And we haven't made it up, it's, it's there. They're posting it, they're, they're happy to because they're posting it on their personal social profiles. They're saying on their Instagram, look, Here's me at this event wearing my ID swag. I love working there. We made them do that, um, and that's because we've, because of the mission and because of all the stuff we're driving internally. Of course, we're on a journey, like every business, um, but I think for us, that's one bit that makes our brand authentic is is that piece of work. And authenticity is is it can be really broad, can't it? Because people often think if you're authentic, it means that you're you know your positive is in the feedback that you're giving is always light, great feedback. Actually, you can be authentic, and some of that feedback is a bit constructive as well. Um, and uh, you know, similar to Helen, we have um, a piece where with our software that we get um, feedback about our staff every week from um, from customers and from from clients, um, and also the behaviour of the week that we that I talked about earlier. That is often nominated by peers. It's nom not nominated nominated by a manager. So again, it means it's people that are in the weeds that are that are doing the job. Um, and I think to be authentic is just people that are. On that journey and people might actually be saying this is a better way to do it doesn't mean they're being destructive it might be that they're just more of a lone wolf and they've got a fresh pair of eyes and they're giving you a bit more insight that you think okay that's not completely how we saw this strategy going but actually you're right that's a really productive way to move forward for our business so I just think we thought you know using that word authentic we just have to make sure that it, it just means that it's the people that are on this journey. We all have got this common goal and this shared goal, but we, we would get there at different points and, and, and produce different amounts of work to get there as well. And I think you know, it's an interesting point. Some, some companies are allowed to have certain cultures. Other companies need to have a different culture. It's the way that, it's the way that they work. I think with the, with the Guardian, you need to have an open and transparent and very collaborative uh, culture because that's that's how people associate your brand and it to feel off brand if you behave behave differently. I think for some other organizations they need to be really high performance. They they need to be very, you know, um very particular skill sets, you need to behave in a certain way. Um it's very hierarchical and that is how some businesses need to operate. And I think the point around employer brand 
that you know we were talking about earlier is around understanding those different levers that you can pull so you might be uh, a very competitive environment but what are the other parts of the offer what are the other parts of of, of the company that could you could you offer an individual so using the example of high performance culture it might be that an organization is able to offer a lot more support in other ways it might be that they have a focus on sort of mental health and well-being that supports that high performance culture it might be that there's you know a culture of learning and development which enables people to be high performance uh, so thinking about the different levers that you can play with an employer brand can help sort of nudge culture in the right direction I think it's understanding as well, not everyone's branded for everyone. Like, so your, a culture is distinct to, to a brand and it may be authentic and that's great, but it doesn't mean everyone's going to want to work there. The same as when you do an employer brand piece of work, it's the first filter. It's, the first, it's like, look, this is who we are, we're being honest and authentic about it, but that might not be for you. Like, not everyone's going to work at the, want to work at The Guardian, not everyone's going to want to work at Indeed. It's just, it's just how it is. You want the right people, so you want the right people that can fit into that culture, but I think there's also the train of thought of people who can disrupt it, mm-hmm. because otherwise you won't change. So you have the right culture, but there's got to be an element of, actually, let's bring in those people who can push us, who are challenging our culture to go, no, you've been like that for the last 20 years. Maybe that's not the right way to be. Come in. So I think there's kind of a balance of how, of how you get that right. Yeah, and I really respect organizations that are really knowledgeable about the types of people they need within their organization and thinking about how different groups of people can complement each other. And that doesn't mean that you have a really divergent culture. It means that the collective, some of these people, um, are your culture. And one of our clients, uh, I really like that they have different sort of groups within their departments. That's like you might be a guru and that means that you are a real expert in the work that you do. And that person might be really, really highly skilled, but they might not be the great, the best line manager. And they don't want to be a line manager, and that's okay. So you have one sort of development path, which is for someone that wants to be really specialized. And you might have another path for somebody who wants to be more of a generalist. They're really good at developing people. They're really good at cult, sort of coaching people. And um, being really knowledgeable about the different people you need within your team uh, can, can really help um, an organization's effectiveness. I think we all know that your culture at work can have a big impact on your mental health. So with all of the different ways that people like to work and all of the different types of environments that different people excel in, how do you ensure that your culture has boundaries and happy, healthy employees? That's a really good question because particularly, you know, in the department I work in, which is the Guardian Jobs, which is a sales environment, I run a sales team and I have a revenue target to hit monthly, quarterly and yearly. And, you know, I am responsible for growing a number to deliver to the business, to to deliver to our trust. Um, So, yes, that can create an environment that can be a bit more stressful for people because there's real accountability um, there each each month and each quarter and, like I say, each year. Um, So how we've tried to tackle that is we've got um, some mental health champions that sit on both of our floor and within, not just in our HR team, these are people um, both 
in and out of the business as well who work for the Guardian and then we have some external facilitators, facilitators as well that will help support those people that are going through a challenging time that might be related to work and it might not be related to work and they are across the business for you to be able to access each day. Um, we've also got some, now some compulsory management training for managers to deal with again those mental health crises, those emergency crises that you know perhaps people just aren't trained to deal with because they don't have friends that are affected by mental health. So they've undergone some you know some training to ensure that they're just the first step that you can say I'm having a difficult day or, or I'm finding this really challenging at, at the moment. Um, and of course, like most organisations, you know, employee. Um, um, system as well, the EAP that you know that helps um, gives a certain amount of um, whether that's counselling sessions, whether that's debt advice, whether that's help with your mortgage, you know, um, just ensuring that people know that they have to be accountable for their roles. But if they are having a challenging time in and out of work, there are things there to support them. So you know, it's it's published all around our office. It's you know, it's on our intranet, and it's something that we talk about quite openly. And the last change, I think, for us, the last maybe six months I've seen, is some of our mental health champions have actually got ambassadors that do drop-in centres where they talk about their own mental health and um, their journey and how they got help. And that's a real, real change because there's such a stigma, particularly at work. I mean, there's a huge stigma of mental health, but no one talks about how they suffer with their mental health at work because they feel like that would just be a circle of death around them and that they wouldn't get promoted and people wouldn't take them seriously. And then if they actually did have a day off, day off sick, someone would say, well, that's because they can't, you know, their mental health or they can't deal with, you know, pressurised situations. And that just isn't the case. So we, you know, we have to foster this open, trusted environment where people feel like they can come and share um, you know, their challenges. And actually, if we need to give these people time out of the business, let's support them with that. But also, you do have to remind them that they are there to perform their duties and are there to perform a role. So again, it's about striking that balance. Yeah, and I think it's it's just a really humanising thing as well. And I think that there's organisations such as um, Barclays, CMS do it as well, is around internal comms campaign, which is helping you see your peers and your colleagues as a human, as a human being, uh, as, some, as someone that's got stuff going on under the surface. And a lot of those internal comm strategies is around um, perhaps invisible disabilities, or, you know, mental health, uh, and things is, is just being really open and transparent. It's not something that affects your work in, in a lot of, in lots of places. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but fostering a open, collaborative, uh, environment when you're able to say these are the these are the things that I need in order to help me do my job at my best and if you have that for that sort of approach for everyone then you've got a culture where everybody is performing at their best yeah I think for me it's, um, it's all yeah it's all around that safe environment fostering it because then people feel like they then can say something if there's that open communication for me it's the leaders it starts with them talking and it doesn't it could be just your manager or your senior leadership talking through a challenge that they've had and being open around that and then you feel safe to say oh well if that VP is able to still get that job and still has those issues that you don't feel alone and I think the managers definitely for me you've got to feel like you can bring your true self to work and then if and it's okay to be able to say I'm not having a sick day I'm having a day because I need a mental health day I need a day 
because there's so many people who are taking, I think I don't know what the stats completely are, but people are taking sick days, not really sick days, they are taking days because they just, they don't want to come to work or they're struggling with something, they're anxious about something, but they don't want to say it. So they have said, oh, I've got a cold or, you know, I've been sick. And a lot of the time that's not actually the case. Um, I think it's a challenge for employers to how, how do they build that open culture of communication so people can feel comfortable. I think it's really hard to do. Um, but I think for me, yeah, a leader saying something or saying, you know, I'm struggling, I think that really helps. And I think from the from a financial impact point of view, quite often if you nip things in the bud, then people need less time less time off work than if you let something bubble away under the surface for a long time and someone ends up needing to take a week off work, two weeks off work. Uh, it's much, much better to be able to nip it in the bud, see signs early, be using people like mental health ambassadors that you know might be able to say, actually, I think that person might need a bit of a check-in, see how they're doing. Um, I think it is a really positive thing that organizations can be doing. I think one thing that I'm seeing uh, a bit more of in company culture is around flexible working. So flexible working, obviously, something that's really, really important if you think about kind of the gender pay gap, you think about uh, different abilities, being able to be a flexible employer is something that's uh, really, really important, good for business, good for people. Um, but you know, some of my clients are saying to me, oh, I'm not going into the office today because it's a ghost town, nobody's, nobody's there, and I'm working from home because there's nobody in the office. So I think one of the things that we need to be careful of is we don't move to a point where we miss out on that face-to-face interaction. I think there's been, I think we've all been on conference calls where somebody's kind of going out with the dog at the same time or somebody's doing the washing at the same time or catching up on emails and you find that people aren't engaged in the conversation. So I think moving towards time where we say flexibility is a norm but making an effort towards having workshops together and making the most of face-to-face interactions is a positive thing. I did hear about this organization uh, the other day, Uh, it's a tech company, but they've decided that if one person is dialing into a call, everybody else dialed into the call, even if everyone else is sat in an office and one person's at home, just to make sure that nobody's at a disadvantage in a work conversation, so you're not missing out on those kind of uh, glances across the table or the kind of catch-up that's going into or out of a meeting, Uh, so making sure that there's a real culture of transparency and openness and that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, I think for me that's one of the different things in the future what companies are going to have to deal with when it comes to culture. With the rise of tech, gig economy, people, flexible working, the culture will exist outside the office. So how do you foster a culture when there's no workplace? Like, How do you do that? It's got to, it's, we're going to have to think differently because people do want to work flexibility. They want flexibility. I don't think we're going to be able to get away from that unless you have to work in a store and you, you can't. Um, but I think with a lot of the big businesses, tech businesses, we're one of them. I've got a global team. I'm the only one in the London office. Yes, we've got other people sat around me, but we're constantly on video calls all the time. So it's how do you still keep that culture? How do we do group stuff together on a call and things to try and keep that culture going? And it's hard. It's really difficult to do. So I think companies have to think really differently of how they build that culture. That's the perfect spot for us to wrap up. Thank you for joining me today. 
And thank you for listening. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our website and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a People Scout production, music by sound design through Shutterstock.